Well, it's great having him on. Uh, I've seen him on other shows. We set our sights on Brett Sadler. He joined the the Heritage Foundation after a a twenty six brilliant year uh, Navy career. Numerous, uh, numerous uh, operational tours. We have uh, Brent, Mister uh, Bielan. We'll get him on. He's getting him on. Uh, we lost him. Jake's getting him back. Brent Sadler joined the uh, Heritage Foundation after a twenty uh, six year Navy career. Numerous operational tours, by the way, on some of the nuclear powered submarines, which fascinates me. Uh, personal staffs of senior Defense Department leaders. Uh, a military diplomat in Asia, and as a senior research fellow, the uh, focus on maritime security and the technologies that shape our our future uh, maritime forces, especially the Navy. So uh, we get Brent on uh, in a uh, in a couple of minutes. Actually, we got him right now. We lost him. Bela got him back. It's a kick save. As we welcome in uh, Brent Sadler, uh, first time on Li News Radio. Uh, it is great to have you, sir, and we thank you for so many years of service as well. Thank you very much for having me on on this day. Indeed. And, of course, uh, you know, I think of this day, uh, I think of Pearl Harbor 82 years ago, um, 82nd anniversary, hard to believe. But you also have a two-month anniversary, Brent, uh, of uh, the Hamas invasion. It's also the 30-year anniversary. You want to go with anniversaries here of the Long Island Railroad Massacre. That's another conversation. Um, but uh, 82 years uh, into Pearl Harbor, uh, that is amazing in itself when you think about it, you know? Well, absolutely. And we still have we still have precious few survivors that are living reminders of that day, uh, both good and the bad that came out of it. Yeah. Brent, break it down for me. Let me uh, let me hear your thoughts here. Um, you know, obviously, we've had two attacks on, on U.S. soil. Mm-hmm. It k- kicked off with Pearl Harbor, obviously 9-11. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've seen the clips and the interviews and the movies and everything else dedicated to that uh, situation. Your thoughts, my friend? Yeah, there's a couple important lessons. I mean, the number one to take a, take a point out is that history never re- – repeats itself exactly, but it certainly is eerily familiar right now to where we were uh, as a nation within a very, you know, simmering war, a world leading to war in the late 30s. That It feels like where we are, and China's the country that we need to remain extremely vigilant uh, against all of their, their testing and prodding of us so that we can make sure that we deter the worst, which could be a war. But the lessons from December 7th, 1941, uh, a couple of important ones. One, uh, we took through victory what was a very bloody war and a very aggressive enemy, and now is one of our staunchest allies. Mm. One lesson to take. The other is that we div- we became very divided. For a while, we turned against our own citizens, but then we made amends for that, and we became stronger and more united going forward, and we still remember that. So... There's lots of lessons. Uh, we are very we are we are a unique nation because of that history that demonstrates our uniqueness right there. So that's something too to remember the the importance of internal vigilance, especially as we're dealing with the the rise of a communist China that's extremely revisionist. We can't simply wish away their worst behaviors and ex- expect that good things will happen. 
that's the number one lesson now. And the other is that we are a unique nation with a very positive and very forward-thinking history, uh, time and time again. That's, uh, that's an excellent thought process there. And, you know, you go back to 1941, you know, it's 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 all about the leadership, right? Uh, I think because, you know, you had FDR involved there, followed by Harry S. Truman. Uh, and, uh, and you fast forward here uh, into the uh, 21st century as far as how Joe Biden has handled things from a foreign policy standpoint. You know, you kind of get a sense that there it, there was plenty of strength way back. You oh. can make the case, not as much so now. That means a lot regarding foreign policy, no? Oh, absolutely. I mean, peace only comes through strength. That At the end of the day, when you have a country, uh, a leadership that is dead set on defeating you or, or basically re- overcoming you and changing the world to their design, um, the only thing they really respect at the end is power. And we've allowed ours to just kind of evaporate since the end of the Cold War because of wishful strategies and thinking. Um, we, as a Navy man, FDR, you know, a lot of bad policies in the, in the Great Depression. But one thing he got right was that he, too, was a Navy man. And that was our Navy takes a long time to build, uh, that we needed shipping. And he started in the late 30s uh, rebuilding that just in time for the beginning of World War II. And that was like five years in advance. We're in that window now, but we don't have an FDR kind of leader uh, that's going sh- to take the risk and the challenge of rebuilding probably the most daunting of our defenses, our, our Navy. Yep, no question. Brett Sadler with us. Got a book out, too. 26 yeah. years in the Navy. We're going to talk about that book in just a second. You know, I, I look at technology Brent Sadler, that plays a major role with all this. 1941, take me back to that day regarding intelligence. I even go into the Israeli-Hamas war going on right now as far as an intelligence snag of some sort. Uh, Give me the importance of great tech. You, uh, Mm. in the uh, maritime business for so long, submarines and everything else, you know better than anyone else. Uh, how vital is it to have and lack thereof when something goes awry? Give me a sense. Yeah, so the, the so there's a couple of things from the history back in, you know, most people know the history that there was radar was just beginning. It started to provide new information, and it was inundating leaders that didn't know how to process it. Uh, we had faulty torpedoes. People that were involved in the design of it and committed uh, didn't want to admit that the torpedoes wouldn't explode when they hit the target. And so we had a, a lot of uh, mistakes. We missed the attack coming in the precious minutes before the the bomb started dropping in Pearl Harbor because of, because of a host of things. The intelligence community, um, there were a few folks that were, that, like in, sept- in the days leading up to September 11th in 2001, that were saying, hey, all the warning lights are going off, something's coming, it's going to probably be one, two, or three places. But leadership said it hasn't happened before. Why would it happen today or tomorrow? And so would ignore those warnings. And it's a feature of human nature, unfortunately. And I think the Israelis learned this because they turned away from protecting their border around Gaza, and they were more focused on West Bank, even though the red lights were flashing. Ukraine, same thing. They didn't invest in the defense. Warning lights were going off before 2014. 
and then before February 22. So it, vigilance is the key lesson. No matter how much tech and intelligence that you have, you have to be willing to look and to take the risk when, it, when the red lights are flashing. No question. Brent Sadler with us. Got a bad, folks. Uh, I can't wait to read it. Uh, can't wait to read U.S. Naval Power in the 21st Century, a new strategy for facing the Chinese uh, and the Russian threat. Speaking of those two, uh, we know what Putin is doing right now as far as Ukraine. Um, I want to get your take if yeah. we are doing enough on our end. Uh, and I said from the beginning, Brent Sadler, that there should have been some sort of negotiation, not only between the United States, but the rest of NATO lands, as far as forcing Putin to the table and basically letting him state his case. Uh, if he was uh, skittish regarding Ukraine uh, being part of NATO, let's state the facts here. Uh, that's one. Two, regarding the uh, situation with China, we know Joe Biden met with Xi Jinping a couple of weeks ago in uh, San Francisco. I don't know what good, if anything, uh, but all I know is they've set up a base of spying in Cuba. We had a balloon floating around the uh, continental U.S. of A. way back. Uh, quite frankly, uh, I'm a little confused as far as our relationship. Yeah. Give me those two fronts. Yeah, I'll start with the most dangerous one. So the Biden administration at every turn with the Chinese and the Russians has, rather than exhibit strength and very explicit language backed by military presence near where the problem is, has instead tried to cover up, acquiesce, and uh, divert away from problematic incidents. The, the Chinese spy balloon, the spy base in Cuba, the Russians massing along the Ukrainian border and saying in the month before, the weeks before Putin invaded the second time in February 22, that a little incursion may not be a problem. It gave green lights to these folks, the leadership in Beijing and Moscow. So that's the most dangerous engagement that is not well informed and not focused actually can be extremely dangerous and go the opposite direction. So this talk about we need more engagement, hotlines with China, I, I've, I've managed that hotline with Beijing in the military. It's not what it's advertised, and if it's not well done, you actually can have it blow up literally in your face. And this administration's track record has not been good on this. Uh, on Russia, yeah, I'd go back to 2008, actually, when Russia invaded Georgia, and another country, not a NATO member, who allowed their defenses to kind of get too weak, but then took a shot at the Russians, not thinking it through. You got you to know your adversary, and you have to know your allies, too. Ukraine, a lot of reason why we're where we are today with Ukraine, Ukraine has a lot of culpability in this, too. Uh, but it's because they didn't build up their military, and they didn't build up the alliances and partnerships they needed early on. Part of that's corruption. Uh, and certainly, as I mentioned before, this administration needs to do far better if they want to end this war on favorable terms to the United States. Yeah, no question. I agree, especially when it comes to what's happening in the Middle East, Brent, because we know Joe Biden has already been in the ear of Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, listen, Israel needs to finish yeah. uh, finish the business at hand here. Uh, otherwise, uh, this will only rear its ugly head in years to come. 
and I know there's a lot of pushback and everything else regarding uh, innocent civilians and whatnot here. It's a tough task, but all in all, they didn't start this thing. No. Um, I, again, I think the administration's approach has been misguided uh, from a military and strategic perspective is out of line with with a lot of things. Uh, I can understand why the Democrat Party is acting the way it is and Biden kind of being led by his party. Uh, they, they, are a, they are a conflicted constituency. There's a lot of the Democrat Party that is more favorably inclined to the Palestinian cause, as misinformed and, and ill-led as that might be, especially when it gets behind and supports a terrorist organization like Hamas. I, I can kind of understand it, but trying to slow down the Israeli assault all that does is prolongs the suffering, not of just the Israelis, but the Palestinians. And as lands are, are freed of Hamas control in Gaza, we're going to hear more and more about the horrors the Palestinians have suffered underneath that, that brutal terroristic regime that has been there since 2008. So get out of the way. Help them finish it fast. Wars are violent. Unfortunately, there are innocents that get caught up in the crossfire. But the quicker it is done and fought, the less bloodshed that there actually is. Yep. Uh, I know the Gerald R. Ford and the Eisenhower, the ships out in the Mediterranean Sea right now. Your book, U.S. Naval Power in the 21st Century. I can't wait to read it. A new strategy for facing the Chinese and the uh, Russian threat uh, by Brent Sadler here. Uh, It's a great read. I can't wait. It seems to be. Um, in about 30 seconds, kind of sum it up. I'd love to have you back, Brent. Yeah, the, the key thing on it is that American statecraft is broken. It's been broken, so I can tell from firsthand experience. Uh, there's a concept called naval statecraft, which is mo- and a modernization of how America, America does exercise its power. It's catching on. You had the Secretary of the Navy at Harvard give a speech that basically lifted from the book back in September. Uh and you hear about it, you hear it on the campaigns from the Republican side. So I'm very, I'm very positively inclined to, that it's having an effect, and the ideas are spreading. And the Russia part is from lessons is that China's the number one threat, but if you don't consider or keep Russia in your, in your eyesight, you're going to get distracted at the worst possible time, and China could do something that we have to react to. There you go, and there is a lot to be vigilant, as uh, you have stated on this uh, on this segment here. And we look forward to reading U.S. Naval Power in the 21st Century. Brent Sadler, 26 years, ladies and gentlemen, in the Navy. We thank you so much for coming on with us and your service, and of course, a very important day to never uh, forget the 82nd anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attack. 